This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. The Bible declares that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Our God is a God of mercy, amen? How many of you know the mercy of God? How many of you know that your life has been transformed by the mercy of God, that you would not be who you are today or where you are now if it were not for God's mercy on you. The heart of God is a heart of mercy, and God desires his people to be people of mercy to reflect his merciful heart. So I'm going to tell you a story. When I was in fifth grade in the summers, I would often go to the bowling alley with my friend, Adam. And sometimes there'd be this other kid there from across town. He went to the other school. And this kid, he'd make fun of me. First, he started making fun of my socks because they were gray and they were tall. They went about halfway up to my knee. And that wasn't cool then. Back in those days, what was cool was the socks that went below your ankle and you could barely see them. But then he started making fun of my bike. I had this Malibu hopper with these really wide handlebars and a wide, very comfortable seat that I enjoyed and I liked my bike. I liked the Malibu hopper. And then he started making fun of it and I could no longer enjoy it. And it got to the point where I actually had to tell my, my folks, could you get me another bike? And I just wasn't confident enough and just quick enough to have a retort like, yeah, a Malibu hopper, like Malibu, California, where everybody's cool, so what do you know about it? No, I, I, I didn't know how to do that. I just felt bad. Sometime later in Sunday school, we were talking about loving your enemies, and the Sunday school teacher asked, so is there anybody that you don't like? Yes. And, and what do we do? I hate him. No, you don't hate. Yes, I do. I hate him. One of the other kids at the table, he's my friend. Uh, your friend is a jerk. And my Sunday school teacher was unprepared for anything other than the Sunday school answer, so we just kind of moved on. So Jonah, the book and, and Jonah the man belongs to that special category of Bible stories and, and Bible people that is the example of what not to do. And in contrast, in the book of Jonah, we see God's mercy and his steadfast love so beautifully displayed. You see, the book of Jonah, it's not about some amazing fish that swallows Jonah and spectacularly keeps him alive for three days. The book of Jonah is not even about this great city of Nineveh and its incredible wickedness, but the astonishing repentance or even the miraculous deliverance of the city. That all merely serves as a backdrop to the real drama, which is what's going on in Jonah's heart. Jonah represents the common sinful but very common wrestling match that occurs in the human heart when God shows kindness to those that we know do not deserve it. This book is about God's mercy. 
it's clear that God wants Jonah to be merciful and to have mercy on those who do not deserve it, to be a shining example of mercy to reflect God's own merciful heart. So first we're going to take a look at Jonah's unmerciful heart. I mean, Jonah could teach a master class in the art of hatred. I mean, fifth grade Brett's got nothing on Jonah. Do you know why Jonah ran away from the Lord? It wasn't because he was afraid. That would be really understandable. It wasn't because he thought the job was too hard. Go to the most powerful nation on earth right now, to its capital city, and you by yourself, without the aid of any army, I want you to preach a message of doom and judgment. It's a hard job. But Jonah didn't refuse because he was afraid or because it was too hard. At the end of the book, he says, after Nineveh's repented, he says, isn't this just what I said would happen? If I preach repentance, and they do in fact repent, I knew that you were a God who was merciful and that you would show mercy on this city and you, you wouldn't destroy them. That's why Jonah went the other way. And what's interesting, when we look at the beginning of the book, look at the, uh, listen, rather, because I'm not going to really ask you to turn to Jonah right now. Just listen, I'm going to read to you. God's command is this. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Stop. And notice, God doesn't say anything about whether they'll repent. He doesn't say anything about whether he will save the city because of Jonah's preaching. All he says is, you go with a message of judgment. But for Jonah... The mere possibility that his preaching of judgment might lead to repentance and that that repentance might lead to God sparing the city, even that possibility was more than he could bear. He wanted that city destroyed. This guy really knows how to hate. So imagine when he comes back home and his wife says, Hey, honey, how did your preaching trip go? He says, oh, it was terrible. Every preacher's worst nightmare. First, they hung on my every word. Then, they responded to my message with complete and total responsiveness, contrition and remorse. And then, worst of all, now every soul in that city and the entire city has been utterly transformed into a haven of peace. And the animals... And the, and the cattle. <laughs> Man, I feel you, Jonah. It happens every time I preach. It's just the worst. It's just the worst. All right, so we've had our fun picking on Jonah. Clearly, he really hates the Ninevites. Is there anything that we can say on his behalf? Is there anything we can say for this guy? Well, actually, as we take a closer look, there is. All right, so let's, let's build up Jonah for a little bit. Let's understand his, his better qualities. First of all, he's a prophet, which means God talks to him and he hears the voice of God, which is more than I can say or claim for myself. That's pretty amazing. Second, he has an incredible virtue of courage. 
He's on that ship in this storm, and he says, toss me overboard. That is a sentence of death. That was a courageous thing for Jonah to do. And then after he's spit out on dry land, he goes and he preaches single-handedly, no army at his back. He preaches doom and judgment against the most powerful city in the world. That takes guts. Say so third, he's a man of faith. Did you catch his prayer from the belly of the fish when he said, I know I will look on your holy temple again. These eyes will see your temple again. That is incredible faith. And fourth, to those who are not his enemies, he shows care and compassion. He did not want harm to come to those sailors on his account. And he was willing to sacrifice his life for these Gentile, uncircumcised strangers. He gave his life that they might be saved. So wow, from another angle, Jonah shows himself to be, in fact, an incredible human being, virtuous in many respects, admirable, and even worthy of imitation. But one thing he lacked, and I think about the Lord who spoke to the rich young ruler and said, but one thing is missing. And it turns out that one thing is really important. Mercy. Jonah had no love or kindness for the undeserving. He wanted to write them off, cut them out, cancel and punish them. But that one thing, mercy, was so important that according to the standard of Jesus, this lack of mercy would be reason enough to keep Jonah out of the kingdom. Jesus said, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. If you do not show mercy, you will not receive mercy. As you judge others with the same metric, you will be judged by God. If you condemn, you also will be condemned and your place will be outside the city of God in the darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that, in fact, is where Jonah finds himself at the end of the story. He's outside the city, melting in the hot sun. He's sour, filled with self-pity, consumed by his hatred and his bitterness at his enemies. Now contrast what's happening inside the city. Just imagine, what's going on inside of Nineveh right now? Well, there's peace. There's no more violence. They've turned from their ways. There's newfound friendship. There's no more greed and destruction that comes from the sinfulness. Instead, they're realizing, wow, this is the better way. And they're loving their lives like they'd never had before. There was peace inside the city. Where would you rather be? Where would you rather be, inside the city or outside with Jonah? You see, God wants us to be merciful. Yes, because he cares about the honor of his name. And he wants his followers to accurately reflect his true nature so that the world can know what God is really like. That's one reason why God wants us to be merciful, but also God wants you to be merciful because he doesn't want you to be miserable. God wants you to be merciful 
because he knows the alternative is miserable. Jonah was miserable. And you know, at any moment, he could have gotten up, gotten over himself, walked into that city, and enjoyed newfound peace and friendship that his preaching and ministry helped to bring about. In contrast, we see God's mercy all over this story. God's merciful heart, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and kindness. We see it, yes, of course, on Nineveh, a great and wicked city. He has mercy. But again, Nineveh is not the real story. It's just the backdrop. The real story is the mercy God has on who? Jonah. Jonah rebelled against the clear command of God, and he was a prophet of Israel. He knew better. He heard God clearly, and he said, I'm going the other way. And again, not because he was afraid. That would have been understandable, maybe even forgivable. Okay, you're afraid. I get it. Gideon, you were afraid. It was hard for you to do what God asked you to do. It wasn't out of fear. It was just because he hated the Ninevites, and he rebelled against God. And yet God showed mercy on Jonah, and when Jonah was tossed into the sea, the Lord provided a fish to save him. Later when Jonah's out in the desert outside the city, God provides a plant for shade. And God is patient with Jonah. He doesn't grow angry. And even when Jonah becomes bitter and angry again because the plant withers, and Jonah's entitled self-pity party reaches its climax, even still, God patiently reasons with Jonah and doesn't destroy him there in the desert. He wants Jonah to understand his heart. He wants Jonah to share in his heart. He says, Jonah, I want you to have mercy on Nineveh because I had mercy on Nineveh and I want you to be like me. He says, Jonah, I want you to have mercy on Nineveh because I had mercy on you and I don't want you to be a hypocrite. He said, Jonah, I want you to have mercy on Nineveh because it's the better way and you're miserable and I don't want you to be miserable. God's heart of mercy is to be reflected in his followers, shining examples of God's own merciful heart. One of my favorite stories about mercy to the undeserving is Corey Ten Boom, who with her father and sister hid Jews during the occupation of Holland in World War II. Eventually they were caught and sent to a concentration camp where she suffered untold horrors and shame, dishonor, and eventually the loss of her father and her sister. They died in that concentration camp, and she alone survived. And after the war, the rest of Europe looked upon Germany the way Jonah looked upon Nineveh. They wanted to burn Germany to the ground, and Cory ten Boom traveled all throughout Europe preaching in church after church with the message of forgiveness for our enemies. 
And then one day, she was preaching her message at a church in Germany when a man came up who had been a soldier and a guard at the concentration camp where she had been kept, and she recognized him, though he did not recognize her. Here was a man who saw her naked in the most despicable of all human state, and he was there, and he did nothing to protect her. He participated in that, and he came up to her after the service, holding out his hand. He just said, I want to thank you. You don't know what it means to me to know that even I can be forgiven. And with his hand outstretched, Corey Ten Boom stood there, and she said, all in a split second, I knew what I was supposed to do, reach out that hand and, and shake it, but I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Here in the face of the most heinous thing that had been done to me personally, I couldn't shake or ignore all that I had suffered. I couldn't do it, but I knew I had to. And she said in that moment, it was like lightning came through her from God, and all of a sudden, her hand shot out and took his, and she shook his hand, and she said, immediately a peace and a joy came over me. And she said, from that moment, I understood like I never understood before that every time we forgive, it is a miracle of God. And every time we forgive, it is not in our power. It is Jesus Christ in me, the one who forgave his enemies and those who crucified him. It is him in me forgiving the unforgivable, forgiving the undeserving. I'm going to invite the musicians to just begin playing and invite you all to respond here in our final hour in two ways. It may be that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to reflect. Perhaps you've forgotten the mercy that the Lord has had on you in your life, and the Lord is just inviting you to remember God's mercy to not be blind like Jonah was blind, to not be unable to see all of the mercy that God has had on you. It may be that he wants to actually take you to deeper places of understanding the mercy that he is prepared to give you, that he's waiting to show you. Because the mercy that God had on Jonah in providing the fish and the plants, the mercy that God had on Nineveh, is the same mercy that he had on you and has on you in the cross of Jesus Christ. So it could be that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to reflect, to remember what he has done for you and to give thanks and to let your heart be softened. Or it may be that the Lord is inviting some of you to repent of ways you have been unmerciful. The Lord may be revealing to you even one person you've been unmerciful towards in your heart or even in your actions or your words. A sibling, a friend, someone at church, coworker. Is there anyone that you have decided you will not forgive? 
Not just that it's hard, but you just said, I will not even do that. And let this morning be the time that you begin to do that work of forgiveness and offer to yourself, offer yourself to Jesus the willingness to forgive. Is there any other way that you have been unwilling to show mercy to a specific person? I invite you to repent of a lack of mercy. And it may be that as you repent, you may need help. And as we step into worship, you may need to turn to someone near to you, someone you came with, someone you know and trust, and just tell them, yeah, here's the person that is coming to mind. Here's the situation. And I just need help. I need you to pray for me that Jesus' own mercy would fill me. Help me. It may be that in, in telling the story, you actually begin to find that healing work and the increased ability to extend mercy to someone who is not merciful to you. So come, Lord Jesus. And now in our final time of worship, would you receive our praise and thanksgiving for the love that you have lavished upon us? Lord, open our eyes where we've been blind to your mercy. Soften our hearts. And Lord, if there is even one person that we have not shown mercy, we've withheld mercy from, Lord, would you give us now a chance to repent? And would you form in us your own merciful heart? 